Before we kick this show off, let's hear a word from our sponsors. Under Pressure Outdoors is brought to you in part by Hasmore Outdoor Products. Hasmore Outdoor Products manufactures quality replacement seats for a multitude of climber brands as well as a host of other products built with the hunter in mind. Take it from us. Your butt will thank you and you'll be able to spend more hours in your stand. Hop over to their website by clicking on the link in the podcast description and order the tree stand trick out kit for your stand today and you'll have everything you need to hunt longer and harder. Make sure you use code UPO15 at checkout to get 15% off your next order. I'm your host, Will Krebs, and this is the Under Pressure Outdoors Podcast. We're going to start this one off with a disclaimer. I know you can't see this. Anyone in the room who considers himself a professional, raise your hand. All right, nobody raised their hand. So none of us are professionals. This is simply based on a little bit of research and a lot of opinions. Depends on what you want to be a professional in. I still don't These know. These topics, now. <laughs> <laughs> Breaking stuff? Yeah. Stand up. So tonight I've got with me, I got Zach from Heartland Precision Rifle. Hey guys, good to be back. Been on, uh, had a few different guys on us with this time. And so uh, with this episode, I got um, my uh, partner here in the Florida location, Peter Cernickus, who handles a lot of our wildlife outreach um, operations and um, connects us with different you know, wildlife conservation organizations. Um, avid hunter, uh, great marksman. And so uh, he's coming on today to kind of give uh, a little bit of um, input on some of the topics that kind of blend the two topics of uh, you know precision rifle accessories optics and, and the hunting hunting realm as well so peter thanks zach thanks for bringing me on i uh, appreciate y'all having me i look forward to uh seeing what we got to discuss today jay jay stone the infamous jay stone he's a repeat guest you've heard from him before yeah it's good to be back man good to see Jim? y'all good to meet y'all yep and jordan i've been here a time or two just a few of them right yeah so this week we're covering some of the things that are hot in the news from boone and crockett uh, changing how they view, uh, how do they say it, ethical hunting practices or fair chase. Yeah, fair chase. And then uh, CWD in Alabama, hunters, hunting numbers going up across the U.S. due to COVID, you name it, we're going to talk about it. So we're, we're going to go ahead and just kick this off right from the top. And as of December 1st, 2021, the use of sites with built-in electronic range-finding capabilities and technology that delivers real-time location data, including photos, to target or guide a hunter to any animal are now considered violations of the Boone and Crockett Club's (laughs) revered code of ethical conduct. And that even, I guess they geared that towards those electronic sites and cellular cameras, game cameras. So let's also, you know, clarify that's for, you know, when you're trying to, you know, have one considered for a record. So right. It's not, it's not, you know, illegal to utilize those pieces of equipment in terms of hunting. Now, in some states it may be, but um, you can still use them now in terms of it being considered for a record. They're going to make sure that you did not 
um, I guess, have the easiest of times. Well, uh, what are they going to do? They're going to give you a lie detector? I mean, well, how so are they going to figure all this out? <coughs> you, you sign an affidavit saying you didn't, you know, that you didn't use any of these unethical practices, right? Yeah. But from my understanding of it, when you do kill a not, so if you, you kill a 170-inch deer, <clears throat> you sign that affidavit and they go, congratulations, now you're in the Boone and Cracker record books. But you go and break a, a, a world record, Eee, or a state they're record, they're gonna make eee, sure they, they're gonna do a little did. more investigating. Yeah, and unfortunately, in the social media era, it's almost yeah. you know it's hard to you know get a good a good harvest and not post you know right away. And usually, you're gonna have your rifle leaned up there next to it, and you, the first thing on your mind is probably not, oh, I need to sw- swap out my scope so yeah. it looks like I used <laughs> well that different ones. It's like Even my then, my buddy yeah. in Colorado, that's a game warden. He's like, man, I don't do any investigation anymore. I got Facebook. he's like even then when it comes to like social media and if you kill like right you kill this massive buck it's probably been your target buck for a while (coughs) you're probably going to post a trail cam pick of it oh and you know you think about that too it's not like those trail cam companies are shy about their brand and that bottom little tag on the bottom exactly yeah the date and the time and the temperature and all that crap at the bottom it says right there at the bottom spy point you know moultrie whoever Mm -hmm. you got your camera through yeah uh, yeah. that Amazon brand that, that breaks all the time. I'm sure it's down there too. But <laughs> So on the, on the topic of the, the, the smart scopes, quote unquote, I guess if we wanted to start there, the, I guess that's a fairly broad uh, term in, in terms of uh, um, what exactly is a smart scope, you know, what crosses the line, what's off limits, what's not. And uh, so, do you have there uh, what they kind of defined it as? Do you have that pulled up? I did not. I do not at the moment. But so they basically said uh, when it comes to the smart scopes, it's uh, an optic that has direct um, capability, range finding capabilities built into the rifle scope. Um, in terms of, you know, obviously having to range that animal um, to get distance to target, so that you can make the proper um, uh, elevation adjustment, um, and deliver that shot depending on, um, you know, how far it is. And if it's within your capabilities and your, your rifle and calibers capabilities, um, obviously there's separate systems. You've got handheld range finders. Um, then you've got, I don't know if I'd say smart scopes. I don't, I'm not sure if I really want to jump on board with that, but I guess I'd say more advanced optics. Um, and so like some of the ones that come to mind, I think, I know for, I have a feeling definitely one right off the bat that it'll be off limits will be that Burris Eliminator. Um, you know, that's one that has that, you know, a range finder directly built in and essentially you push a button on the side and um, and it ranges to target and, you know, puts the little glow dot right exactly where you need to hold it. And so uh, it's almost dummy proof in a way. Um, so they're the, uglier in sin. So so things windage, it doesn't give you your windage. No, but, and so, I mean, typically though, wind is, is the biggest variable when it comes to, you know, shooting in general, especially precision or long range shooting. That's something that, um, is gonna, is not a constant. Um, once you input your rifles, uh, um, you know, ballistic profile, um, all the, you know, the specs, the velocity, then you found you input into your ballistic calculator, say your, your atmospherics. Um, you know, all those things that are going to ultimately have an impact on your point of impact shift, um, for that projectile out at distance, um, to correct for it. 
um, you know, all those things are going to um, play a huge factor. And once you are have them measured, whether it's with a Kestrel, a weather meter that's going to pull real time data um, or from, um, you know, uh, your uh, if you chronograph your muzzle velocity at hunting camp the day before, that's going to be accurate info. And there's going to be minimal change uh, to that info unless it was something drastic, like, you know, literally a huge weather change. When you're shooting under 500 yards, how big a deal is humidity and wind drift? I know is, but when you get into some of the other things we don't think about as far as just gravity and wind drift being the two big ones. Um, in terms of, of humidity, uh, it, like in and of itself, really, it's not doesn't have the, the biggest effect. It's one of those things, though, that it's, um, you know, it's a it's a sum of, you know, several different factors that ends up having the, you know, the biggest change. And so we kind of categorize that or define that as, you know, density altitude. And so, however, those, the, the same thing though, if you have your rifle, you know, profile zeroed and set up for a specific, uh, you know, DA. Um, and so, you know, your bullet is performing, um, you know, like this at this specific density altitude, um, and then you go to a location to hunt that is, you know, different, that's where you're going to expect some shift. But if you're right. there and but, you gather it and, and set up that profile at that same DA, it's not going to shift a whole lot, especially so inside of 500. That's kind of my question is when you're <clears throat> precision shooting for score, when you're trying to drive tax versus, <clears throat> you know, hitting an area the size of a football or size mm -hmm. of a pie plate, which in precision shooting – like, that's a gross miscalculation if you can't get mm -hmm. So I kind of wonder with all this stuff. I, I I guess I get it that if they're eliminating, if you could just take somebody who's basically clueless and doesn't have the ability or the gear to adjust for it, really, you're talking about elevation primarily, mm -hmm. that scope eliminates that. It's automatically doing the calculation and moving the dot. Correct. And, and the biggest way is for it to be accurate is to, to verify it usually at hunting camp. I mean, usually you're going to go and especially if you're traveling, you're going to just confirm that your zero is still on, especially if you just pulled the rifle after, you know, haven't shot it since last season. It's been sitting in the safe, you know, a lot of guys, okay, I'm going to just make sure it's still on. And that's, you know, once you confirm it, you know, it, there's probably not going to be, you know, a whole lot of shift, like I said, unless it's pretty, something pretty drastic. Now, in terms of, um, um, when you take those factors and so when we talk about the, the wind drift, so that's something that as we teach in our courses, um, it's a, it's a variable. And so, you know, things like kestrels and weather meters, wind meters, that'll measure, you know, wind for you. However, that's, that's measuring the wind at the location you are currently standing at, which, you know, at the muzzle, that's going to have the least impact on your bullet. So then being able to, you know, get an accurate wind reading downrange where your target is, that's important. But then also your, um, your max ornament your, or your max ornament or your halfway point, uh, your max trajectory, that's also going to be a big factor. So getting a reading there, that's not something that you're going to be able to get with these, these type of scopes. So the big thing they're talking about is, you know, not having to do the legwork or kind of the longhand math equation which is not the best example especially if you're using you know ballistic calculators but in terms of just simply pushing a button and it says hey put this glowing dot right here and now you know people are thinking uh, that they have 
they can do a lot more with uh in that i guess in terms of you know shooting or taking animals at, at you know greater distances because of that equipment so i just want to clarify something this uh you know when we started this we said you know i said raise your hands if you don't if you're a professional in here and, and i said nobody raised their hands but i i guess i kind of take for granted that uh some of you people are not brand new mm-hmm. to our podcast yeah. so you got to understand that there are some people that i would consider professionals in this room you've got me jim and jordan who are part of the podcast we are avid outdoorsmen and we love what we do and we hunt we fish we do what we do but zach and peter work with heartland precision rifle zach is the you're the gunsmith and the instructor for the Florida the Florida part of Heartland Precision. He's sitting here playing with Heartland Precision's new proprietary action uh, at the podcast table. And then Jay, he's outdoors industry media for God, how long? Uh, <clears throat> a number of years. Yeah. So anyway, with, there are some. Says a number. It's I guess double technically digits. to <laughs> answer your question, yes, I do get paid. For what we're talking about, <laughs> so I guess that would make it uh, a, profession, a profession. But, but I mean, I say at the end of the day, you know, what, what's the saying? You know, opinions are like buttholes. Everyone's got one. Yeah, and so and most of them stink. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All of them stink. I forgot. I forgot that part. Yeah. yeah. Um. But you no, know, there there's a lot of you know information out there that, especially nowadays, you can jump on the internet and find a wide variety of information that when you read it the way it's presented, it sounds extremely accurate. And so you're thinking, oh, this has to be right. But then you find another source that says the complete opposite. So, Zach, in your opinion, you know, we talk about like the bird slender smart scopes. Granted, you lose a little bit of time, but in the age of smartphones, right, I can carry a phone and a range finder to the stand. Mm-hmm. Pull a range finder, tell my range, put it right in my smartphone on a ballistics calculator. And tell you the exact same thing that that burst laminar just told me. Exactly. So, in your opinion, how much is that really? I mean, fair chase for a smart scope. The difference is, is that it gives you the information, right? But you have to do. You have to make the yeah. correction. Yeah. And the scope that, doesn't make it for you. And the the correction that that say you know that calculator is providing you is only going. So we say garbage in, garbage out. And that what that means is so to get an accurate adjustment, which is what you're trying to get, so that you can make the adjustment for the range you want to shoot at. The only way you're going to get an accurate adjustment or uh, correction and deliver a kill shot is if you have been able to input into that ballistic calculator and your ballistic profile an accurate muzzle velocity that you've measured usually you know by chronograph and not just gone with what the box says um and that's you know uh going and actually um you know running your adjustments out to distance and making sure that your bc um is staying true um at not just what is advertised uh, with that projectile but then out at distance as well um and so in terms of the inf- the result or the solution that those ballistic calculator and your rangefinder is giving you, it's only accurate if you have put the information into the profile um, that it's, I guess, going by um, to give you that. So, so you've done legwork on your end, which is what I think is kind of where the, you're still having to put in legwork as a hunter and still it's not just a, a one you know button solution that you know 
has given people, I think, a sense of, of false confidence. So with these per se smart scopes, you're able to put in <coughs> somehow input that into your smart scope. So a lot of them, I know, like for instance, uh, so um, a lot of them you'll down, they'll have like a proprietary app that you download from the app store, just like that ballistic calculator. So then you're going to input, say your your um, you know the caliber you're shooting. Um, and uh, the um, velocity that you have for it. And basically, once it's synced with that, then it's gonna go ahead and, and pull. And so it's, instead of you ranging it, putting it in your phone, getting a correction on your phone, making the correction on your scope, it's literally, you you know, you push the button on the side of the scope and it does all that in, that process inside the scope itself. And so that's where there's, like different parts that are just being combined into one. You know, when you're doping your scope, you know, what what distance do you determine? So that? there's a few different ways to approach it. So you can, you can, um, like you said, so when he says doping, what he means by doping, so dope is an acronym that we use in the precision war, uh, rifle world that stands for uh, data on previous engagements. So uh, in terms of taking the correction that you've used in the past and actually putting in making the correction on your optic. And if it says, you know, at 300 yards, you're going to have your elevation set at, you know, X amount, you may, you actually put that on your scope and then you shoot a target at 300 yards and it does in fact hit exactly where you want. That's what he means by dope. So now you've confirmed that that is an accurate adjustment. There's a few different ways to approach it. One way would be to gather dope where when you go and you put in the correction, you go and you, you confirm it noting you know, um, uh, deviations in terms of, you know, you know, different uh, point of impacts, uh, shifts, um, and locations. And as it increases, you know, out at distance. And so noting it at that, that way by confirming it, or a lot of these ballistic calculators, they have the ability to account for spin drift, um, in it. So when you input your rifle profile and putting your barrel twist rate, the projectile you're shooting, the velocity you're shooting at, the BC of the projectile, um, the you know the bullet weight, then it will do its best to give you a correction that's factoring in uh, spin drift. So in terms of if I were to try and look at it, I mean you can see uh, you know spin drift begin to to have an impact you know as soon as 500 yards, possibly even sooner depending on you know the the uh, rifle setup. Um, and so the easiest way usually is by going with, uh, you know, having it factored in in your ballistic calculator. That it usually does a pretty good job because that's it's not as much of a constant as say, uh, you know, your, uh, you know, your drop once you've set your your all your other uh, atmospherics. But it's you know more of a constant than say wind. So. So we're really getting into the nitty gritty about how all this stuff works. But to kind of break it down as to why Boone and Crockett probably one of the leading reasons about why Boone and Crockett <laughs> put that in there probably has a lot to do with the fact that you might make more people able to shoot longer distances and even longer distances accurately, but you're still losing energy at mm -hmm. time of impact. And Which I think it's me to think that you probably are having you're increasing the risk that you're going to cripple animals. Mm -hmm. And I think I think yeah, you're probably spot on. Yeah. So <clears throat> I'm glad you brought that up, Jim, because I went as far as to look into Boone <clears throat> Crockett's 
how they view long-range hunting, right? And their official statement is, the Boone and Crockett Club believes the term long-range shooting, long-range shooting is more defined by a hunter's intent than a specific distance at which a shot is taken. If the intent of the individual is to test equipment and determine how far one can shoot to hit a live target, and if there is no motivation to risk engagement with the animal being hunted, this practice is not hunting and should not be accorded the same status as hunting. If the intent is to get as close as possible for a sure shot within a person's maximum effective range out of concern for taking an accurate and safe shot, they are hunting. Making the choice to shoot from where you are or attempt to get closer is very important. Is a, is a very important question. If in doubt, stretch the stalk, not the shot. Verbatim from Boone and Crockett's website. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, <clears throat> and that's a great point because I, th- I do think that that's probably a lot of the concern because when you look at um, specifically like the animals that they're, you know, Boone and Crockett's talking about, you got your white-tailed bucks, your elk, your bear, uh, your, your moose, stuff like that, where you're trying to you know, go for these record hunts. And a lot of those are guided hunting outfits, stuff like that. And so, um, you know, wanting to know, okay, what's, what, you know, is you six, five Creed more? Yeah. Six, yeah. five Creed more able to take an elk. Well, at what distance, you know? And that's where, when you look at this, this equipment, when it makes it feel that easy to, um, to, you know, accurately engage targets at, you know, longer ranges than you would have done with your, your grandpa's, you know, rifle, that's where in a way you, um, you, you're not as, I guess, adamant about trying to close that distance because you know well i've you know i it can do it before and so it's it's more of relying on that technology and it takes away really the the uh-huh. legwork and all the effort because as y'all hear me rattle off all this information that's information that's needed to engage you know if i wanted to go and do it without a smart scope i could but is the average hunter that's just buying this setup are they going to be able to do it without the that's smart that's screen? exactly correct as a guide out west and all i've done and you know it, a lot of it with the technology we have now even with just drop compensators built into scopes now and you know i i, I question my shooter I, I question his ability to be able to shoot at 500 mm-hmm. you know or 600 um and I've, i actually was <laughs> on a bear hunt out west in washington state with a guide and got into an argument with him at 560 yards on a bear. And I'm like, dude, I can drop him like a hammer. Mm-hmm. I'll, I will head shoot him from here. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, no, he's too far when he's talking. I'm like, no. And throughout the, the years leading up to today, the, uh, the scopes that we've been shooting have allowed us to stretch that round mm-hmm. for a long ways. And Boone and Crockett is talking about being ethical. Well, you know, at this point, the the technology has stretched us from mm-hmm. 300 to 5 yeah. to 6. And if you refer back to one of our previous podcasts that we spoke on, specifically talking about optics with, with uh, Chris Winky and Bill Carey when we were on here, we talked about that specifically, especially if you look like almost the last, I mean, you could even say in the last 10 years, there's been a serious advancement in terms of the um, um, efficiency and consistency in terms of these optics and their ability to track um, 
and making elevation adjustments and the dollar amount you spend mm-hmm. to get something like that. The equipment, has, the oh equipment you're mounting the scope exactly. on so much better. Like the stuff you guys build, you know, it's just, you know, I have no problem laying in on something at 500 yards mm-hmm. and squeezing it off because he's, I'm putting it in his boiler room, mm-hmm. you know, and it's over. Yeah. And so, a part of that is knowing the equipment, having done it, having putting it through its paces, having, you know, found and researched and confirmed the variables we've talked about rather than knowing, okay, the tutorial on YouTube said push this button and <laughs> now all of a sudden you think you can hit something way out of distance. And like uh, Jim pointed out, when it comes to the, you know, going attempting to harvest animals and you're doing that um, out of a almost a false sense of confidence that, um, you know, well, I pushed the button, the scope says to hold here and so I shot and well, I, you know, I, I gut shot him. That's not my fault. Well, in fact, if you would have put in the legwork to understand that um, the profile you're inputting is not for the correct atmospherics. And so your bullet's actually going to drop even more because that's correcting as if you're at, you know, sea level and you're shooting at whatever that whole process gets taken away. And that animal doesn't walk away hurt because you simply are aware of, of, of the process to make it an accurate shot. So I want to throw out there, Jim, that, you know, I, I read uh, Boone and Crockett's stance on long-range hunting. I 100% agree with what you're saying and the reason that they did that. But I wanted to make clear what Boone and Crockett's stance was on long-range hunting, the way they view it. Yeah. But Well, and- I was going to agree with – I was thinking about – Jay made a statement about how gear is getting better. And it's interesting because recently I had a – 1976 Redfield scope that my father bought, rebuilt. And in 1976, I don't want to say Redfield was top of the line, but Redfield was very well oh, yeah. respected optics mm-hmm. in 1976. So this Remington was, a, was at the top of the game. <laughs> this is a great scope in 1976. Had the whole thing rebuilt, resealed, new gas. Threw it on a 30 out 6 rifle that um, happened to purchase when I was up in Tennessee. First time I looked through it, when it was getting a little dark compared to the things I'm used to looking through. I was like, Ooh, yeah, you know, it's, 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 you know, dialed up to 18 power, but you know, it just didn't gather. It does by modern standards. Mm-hmm. It's just not a very bright scope. Yeah. It works. And that leads me to the thoughts that it seems that Boone and Crockett is simply drawing a line in the sand because technology is going to continue to get mm-hmm. better. I imagine you know, optics is still get better, the bigger batteries, is we can keep removing error as our manufacturing skills get better. Or, I mean, we already talked about just the, the other things that come into play, like your ability to know where the game is and when. It makes sense. They're, yeah. they're saying, you know what? We're not going to get into, do you have to use a scope manufactured before a certain date? Mm-hmm. Or... Yeah. how big the bell is and all those other things. We're just going to say, this is it. Yeah. And I don't know, you know, it for someone like Jay or Zach, doesn't matter whether they outlaw stuff like that or not. You guys got the tools. You're going to go out there and be able to take an animal at a greater distance than, than somebody else. So I don't know, man, I don't, I think it's probably by and large pretty good that they've done this just to keep things from getting spun out of hand. I agree a hundred percent with you. Yeah. No, I'll I say, so I think we have a lot more to cover, but I think we can go ahead and say that we we all agree that if you can't put in the work, mm-hmm. it shouldn't be considered. And game. that comes and back I, to game cameras. 
I'm going to tell you right now, with, with the game cameras nowadays, I mean, I may be old school, but still, the game cameras nowadays is there is taking the hunting out of hunting because Absolutely. guys are not scouting. They're going out, dumping a 500 pounds of corn out, putting a, putting a camera on it, finding a deer to hunt, going out there and finding a tree. They're not, they're not scouting like my dad did and like your dad did. You know, it just, they just don't put the work in anymore. And I was going to say, that's one of the pros that I think, you know, the transitioning to that topic and also with the scope thing is what it's going to do is it's going to force hunters to you know take a look in the mirror and self-evaluate not only um you know the equipment they're using but then their abilities as a marksman as a as a hunter as a um you know the the ability to put the time in the passion for it the knowledge for it and so i think it's really gonna gut check some people but then the good part about that is though is that so Long range, you know, precision hunting is definitely becoming a, a thing, a, a trend, and not just because of the equipment, but then also because of the abilities of these hunters as marksmen. And so, the ones that do engage in long range hunting, if they have to reflect, I guess those that are engaged in that long range precision hunting, um, it's going to be a much higher, um, you know, like I guess overall ability, um, you know, hunter to hunter because of how in-depth and knowledgeable of their equipment, the process, and all of the factors that goes into being successful Which is there. ultimately what it's coming to because there's no hunting being done with cameras and to set yourself apart in the hunting industry to be able to take an animal at 500 yards very, very confidently, mm-hmm. you know, on your weapon, releasing the round, and making it happen, mm-hmm. it's, it is it's, it's boiling the cream to the, cr- the top of the barrel. Yeah. You know, and I think we talked about social media earlier. That's one of the things that it's almost like that's kind of altered some of the state of, I guess, uh, the attraction to hunting because you know you may not have grown up hunting, but then say you happen to see a post where you know someone got this huge bear, and it's like that's actually kind of cool. I've never really wanted to hunt, but that looks fun. That looks like it'd be a cool memory. And so now it's like, oh, well, it's really easy to get into it. And so, oh, you're just going to go pay someone to put out trail cams and set me in a spot where a bear walks right in front of me rather than having a passion for it and having to put in the work and find the areas and do all that because that's not something that's a a light switch in terms of success. Oh, I've got so much to say about that because (laughs) as a guide, you know, it's, there's, there's a, there's two sides to it. You know, there's the lazy hunter side, and then there's the lodge owner side, you know, mm-hmm. we're trying to make, a, we're trying to make a living and pay the bills mm-hmm. and provide a service. The cameras at lodges are very useful for us to put you on an animal to give you a great time. There's a business side. It's a and business the, side of it. The, and then yeah, there's eth- the lazy like the moral side. moral ethics side. Exactly. It's, it's crazy. I would say, but is that genuinely, if you just show up and the guide puts you on it, is that genuinely like, do you deserve that Boone and Crockett title? I mean, no. I feel like a lot of those are, yeah. though, like, you know, like, you're so, telling me that dentist is actually out there putting in time, like, not yeah. things like, like that. Man, I'm, I'm not going to judge the dentist, though. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. I, I very much live in both worlds because, you know, we went and humped all over Tennessee in, in tough conditions chasing deer. Will and I went out and had some success on public land here in Florida. But on the other hand, I have stands on my lease in Georgia where I have corn on some and don't on others. And as a guy that likes to harvest deer purely for payload because I like to cook wild game, man, I start off hunting the hard way, but man, if it's getting late in the season, I'm on a damn corn pile. 
So am I a lazy hunter? But in Depends sense of no, accomplish. you're not because yeah. it's legal to hunt over that corn. But my, I, my, well, not, I don't think you're picking on me. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. just. Yeah. But my thing I just is, don't judge other guys for that. I know? don't. The problem with it is, is the grip and grind. Because what's happened is I love my picks. Well, <laughs> yes, and I don't care if it's a spike. I'm yes. still proud of the deer because I like to eat them, and I don't Bingo. care. But the thing is, it's become a competition now with the grip and grind, and. Oh, I could go on about this for days. Give it to me, Jay. <laughs> Do it, man. Give us a guide perspective. But that's a great point because it's it's not the the hunting of it. It's the, for the record. It's that, a competition now yeah. between everybody. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's it's not there's not I don't think anybody at this table it is, but in the outdoor industry, seeing it firsthand all the time, um, it's it's become this thing that's not hunting anymore. I I Hold on. I'm thinking differently because I'm thinking of the evolution of a hunter that when, when you, when I, I don't know how many people I had the conversation with, I want to get into hunting. Where do they want to start? They want to start at deer and they want to shoot the big buck. Why? Well, it's because what they've seen and mm-hmm. you can say, well, it's dulling it down, but that's also bringing them in. So go ahead. You know, say, well, it, <laughs> you're not going to do that. You're probably not going to knock that one down in Green Swamp. You know what I mean? It's not going to happen. And I agree. That brings me back to the dentist that I guide hunting because he does not have the time to put in. He's got the money to put in, but he doesn't have the time. I want to point out I have nothing against dentists. Oh, yeah. Well, (laughs) I'm all for dental hygiene. The proctologist, we'll say the proctologist, he, you know, it, but, and I see it all the time. These big business guys that come into the lodge and I guide them hunting, they just don't have time to put, Mm -hmm. they don't have time to put into it. And I can appreciate that. But anyway. Well, and as a guide, they're coming to you because you are great at what you do. Just like you're not going to go and do your own proctology. You're going to have them because that's what they do. You know, that's their their area. And so I think it's not as much the the practice of it. It's for a record. The Let's, fact that the ones that you, you used to have to put in the legwork to finally, you know, claim that title versus now someone that could maybe have never hunted before could claim the title fairly easily. Yeah, I, I do like the idea of just codifying a standard as to hunt the way you want, enjoy it. If you got money, like no that. time, whatever. Put that on but, a bumper sticker, hunt the way you want. Yeah, man, hunt the way you want. But if you want to get into T-shirt. the record books for this particular mm-hmm. club, this is the way you're going to do it. Exactly. There's nothing preventing anyone in this room from starting their own club and saying, we don't care how you knock it down. Mm-hmm. Biggest wins. Raise it in a barnyard, corn feed mm. it, march it out, tie a tree a tree and shoot it. If you did it, we'll put it in the record. Did book. we just start something? You know, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I got zero this? interest in that person. <laughs> By the way, the subject of dentists, in case he's listening, this is a fellow who's a periodontist in town, Jeff Seaver, who'd probably stomp a mud hole with most of us when it comes to running around in the outdoors and putting work. So they're not all, let's not put, let's let the dentist off the hook. Yeah, let's not, I, just, <laughs> I feel, I I'm wanna, not going to be accepted to any dentistries in, the, in, in Lake County. <laughs> I just, I just want to, I just want to say, let's not discount Jay's ability to, do, to explore the proctology. Yeah. I like that was the first, the first alternative you, can, you had. <laughs> But I want to point out there, so the uh, Boone and Crockett's thing is is not against trail cameras specifically as much as it is against cellular trail cameras. Now, we've talked about the cell cameras, and we've talked about the guides. And this is something, through digging through their website, I have some interesting opinions on 
cell cameras, right? So m- my personal opinion is, you know, you've seen Utah has banned cameras for hunting between July 31st and December 31st. Uh, all trail cameras are prohibited from being used in hunting a big game. And then Arizona banned cameras uh, in June 11th of 2021 unanimously. They voted unanimously to ban trail cameras for the purpose of taking or aiding in the take of wildlife or locating wildlife for the pur- purpose of taking in the take of wildlife. That has almost everything to do with water. We I'm get- getting there. All right. Man. I was going to say. I, I'm, if I'm stealing your thunder, Spot. I apologize. Okay. So, I, I I hear that, right? It's desert territory. Now, I was going to say, I'm like, here's Arizona the is not the first thing I think of for water. They, they, the Arizona was the first to all out ban trail cameras <laughs> for hunting purposes, right? Multiple states make it unlawful for these to sell cameras as well as two-way radios to aid in taking game. I mean, you go to Alaska, you're going to fly out for a backcountry hunt. You cannot hunt the day you fly in because you can see animals from the air. That all makes sense. Darn. Now, the cell cameras, the reason yeah. they wanted to ban those in Arizona all because people were putting them up around water holes, your deer out there for the paparazzi. Get it, right? They don't want to, They don't want people coming in there to put them up pressuring the water holes. It's also trashing the area around the water holes. I was, when I first read that, I thought that was ridiculous just because I thought in terms of the fellow that, you know, gets his tag, only has limited time, paid a ton of money, going to go out to Arizona, you know, maybe have to make multiple trips from wherever he's coming from. And you're going to make it that much harder on him. But then when I realized how small an area it is, how much traffic's going there, it's not just the paparazzi, like just 22 cameras on one water hole. It's all those guys going in through the same place over and over and over. And because there's so little water, I mean, once you stomp a mud hole in that area, or that's actually the opposite. Once you run a trail through that area and some of that grass and that foliage, man, it's it's there forever. I mean, Okay, your so, lifetime, yeah. But why, why wouldn't you advocate for cell cameras over traditional trail cameras? Because you don't have to go and check them all the time. Mm-hmm. And then you go and, and you, but you again, you say that a guide is okay. Boone and Crocker says a guide is okay because they can, they're there real time all the time, and they can watch a water hole, right? Boone and Crockett admits in their position on governor's tags that having advanced and detailed knowledge of a particular game species in advance via a guide, although not illegal, proposes a challenge to ethical principles. It'd be easy to argue that cell cameras can be less invasive in landscape, uh, on a landscape than a physical person. So that they stand here and they tell you that cell cameras are bad, but they won't all out rule out a guide because then you're putting people out of business. I think, I think you're, if we're taking places like Arizona, New Mexico, and the water issue, and then conflate that with the overall issue of cell cameras, I think they're different. Because if I'm not mistaken, they didn't just ban cell cameras. They said no cameras, correct? Correct. So the reasons why are different. Um, so I can see where you're almost saying, well, maybe Arizona should come back and then allow cell cameras. Except, and they, that would, that might be acceptable for the water issue, hypothetically, except you know, I think government's just like, no. Because then everybody will just go buy cell cameras. Right, you're I right get that. that. It, it yeah. would reduce the traffic going in somewhat. But I I think that they're also embracing some of the fair chase. And as I understand it, that when they did this, the number of people in Arizona, I mean, sportsmen, not just overall people, that were in favor of this was, was overwhelming. So 
it, here we are sitting in Florida telling Arizona. You know, I don't think you and I are granted that, but if they said that that's what's good for Arizona and that's what's good for New Mexico, and it was coming through their their DNR or whatever, I, I don't think it was some decision they made haphazardly. And I think that's different than the cell than the cell the cell cam issue that Boone and Crockett suggested or uh, addressing. You know, uh, you you are correct on that. They're they're addressing a totally different issue. Go ahead, Jordan. I think in general, when it comes to Boone and Crockett's cell versus, you know, your regular cameras, to me, even cell cameras take some of the fun out of it, right? Because if I, if, if, if all my cameras that are in Georgia are sending me pictures, what, why do I ever have a reason to go up to Georgia other than to hunt? Right. Trigger man. Right. It, yeah. it literally, it, the cell cameras literally do take the fair chase out of it so, because I have to show up to Georgia and literally wandered my property to check all of my cameras. Whereas if I show up on a Friday night and I have all cell cameras, I can go, this buck's right here at this stand at this time. I know it because I've gotten pictures every single now, day. What about, there's some, I know that, that you were looking at that one time that it was like you could uh, connect to it with when you were within a certain distance. That yeah. seems fair. And so is that, I guess, well, is that like an in-between? I don't, I don't know about that. There's like a Cuddy Link system, so you can, the cameras connect to each other, but you still have to go, so you can check one camera, you can check one camera, and still, like, you see all the other cameras. So you still have to go to the woods to check the camera. It's not sending it to your phone, so you can check one SD area. card. Yeah. So say you have, you know, an area where they're bedding or something, you have a camera that's in there, you don't have to backpack in there and, you know, disturb their bedding areas, you can still check it from there. But then again, you're talking about taking the fun out of it. I mean, if you're getting, you're in Georgia, you're getting pictures of, you know, you have a little scrawny buck every single time. Like you don't, you don't have any big bucks. Yeah. So you go and you check an area and you see a rub, but you don't know what's making that rub. So the the exciting, like, oh, you don't know what's going to step out. You know, that's kind of the exciting stuff we're talking about. But when you see, I know I go to Nebraska every year and I bring, you know, nine to a dozen cellular cameras and I throw them all out in one day. I throw out all my stands and, you know, I'm in the stand and I'm checking camp, like I'm getting pictures. I have it sending me every single That's hour. not fair, Chase. <laughs> one, well, one, I'm there for a certain amount of days and then I can see what's in the area and what's moving because, I mean, I, I'm not there but once, once yeah. a year. And so I, I don't know the area. I'm not able to be there. Um, so I'm able to find the, find what's moving around and, you know, you see a huge buck, you know, that, you know, you're sitting 12 hours in the stand all day long. It's cold. You get a, picture of a big buck it's like okay well i'm gonna i'm gonna stick this out this is mm-hmm. this is exciting here's part of the reason i got no problem with what pete's doing and i got no problem with governor's tags i don't because have a problem with governor's tags either but that probably just, for the same reason yeah pete's going to nebraska and he continues to go to nebraska and he's got a system to increase his likelihood of success and he only is there for a short amount of time and yeah. that brings now, it back yeah. to the guide thing i know he's a badass right and hardcore but i do not know if pete would continue to go to nebraska if year after year after year after year, well, he drove out there and came back with a fistful of dust. Okay, so I'm going to go back on that one. So uh, I think I've gone, this is probably my third, this, this, no, fourth, fourth, fourth year of going out there. First three years, I I had not shot anything. I mean, I've seen some big deer. I know, I mean, it's Nebraska. There's, I'm used to growing up, I've been in here in Florida, I've been here in 
Georgia, you know, there's good deer, but that's just a whole different level. I'm going there right when the peak rut is there. That's also why another reason why I throw those cameras out there. Uh, that would help me in a situation having those cellular cameras. Say you're here in Florida, you got those uh, cameras in Georgia. Well, you don't, when the bucks start rutting, they kind of rut at different times of the year. You can finally see when they start chasing. It's like, I need to go get in the woods now. Um, but what you were saying, I, I've, I've gone three years without shooting anything until my fourth year, I finally was able to draw my bow back and I, I connected on a buck this year and, and, and got them. Did you pass on deer? Cause they weren't, they didn't meet your standard. Oh, oh yeah. I, I passed on plenty of deer. Um, tons of deer. I've actually drawn back on one big one and, uh, just some coyotes just ended up, you know, barking and, uh, he kind of ran off, but, um, yeah, I see plenty of deer, see a lot of chasing them. It's, it's a lot different style of hunting than what I'm, what I'm used to. It's more what you see on TV. And well, and one of the precious ones, he, he hit some, some ice an ice patch on the way there after driving almost 24 hours straight through the night, gets spun around in a circle, you know, hearts pumping is about, I don't know, maybe, maybe two hours left in the drive gets there to my, my father-in-law's house drops his stuff goes straight out to put up to to get you know into the into stands steps through a patch of ice in the cornfield goes face first into a tree i got a picture yeah. he he looks like he just got you know mauled and uh proceeds to sit in the stand from sun up to sundown in maybe five degree weather yeah whenever the <laughs> the had to get urgent care and to get stitched up afterwards <laughs> and and came back with nothing and still went the next year All right, well, and so all He's right, crazy so maybe, about I picked it. A bad, I picked a bad example, but the point is, <laughs> yeah. the Peter, Peter is about you know the, I guess most passionate about anything to do with that. So yeah, bad person to but, pick on. But there, so Peter needs to come to Tennessee next year. But there, I'm there to shoot something really big. I mean, I've killed plenty of deer. I don't God. need to go there to shoot no, something crazy. So my my using using example is terrible, but for an awful lot of folks, and they, the governor's tags and some of this technology going to the same thing because we're starting to see more and more and more out-of-state hunters buying licenses, right? And all this buying of licenses and all the money that's being spent on the gear and the whatnot ultimately is what's driving the, the economic side of the North American conservation model. And, you know, that, I'm sure people, hopefully most people know what that is. Um, but, man, it, that, that model, the whole idea that we love doing this, we will spend inordinate amount of cash and deficit spend and you know i mean step on wives toes and things like that to go pursue these animals but and, and i know a lot of people don't understand this but what's ultimately benefiting the animals right i mean animals in general wildlife in general is benefiting because knuckleheads like us will go to extreme lengths to get one oh that it brings back to the like our lodge um hog hunting huge huge man we can't we don't have enough days to book enough people to come in to pay us to shoot hogs at night with thermals i mean these guys show up with thousands of dollars with the rifles and this and that and the other and our cameras it's it kind of makes my job somewhat easy because i just look at my phone and go oh there's hogs down on the little field let's go mm -hmm. you know and we go down there stalk up and that's that what we talk about with the business, the, the business, business side, side versus it. the because exactly from a business as a guide, you want your clients to have success. Yep. 
because if they don't, then they're not going to come back. Exactly. And so how do you guarantee, or I guess not guarantee, but I guess, uh, in, increase the, you know, the probability of them having success. It's things like knowing exactly where the game is and, yep. and when, and those cell cameras, man, will run all over the property from field to field to field. Just, you know, there's several, I guess, perspectives to look at it that are hard where you can literally have opinion from the perspective of a business and the polar opposite from as just a civilian hunter which i actually have which is crazy because i see both sides of it you know and us going and filming you know <clears throat> texas just a little bit ago you know we know we because if you don't have a kill you don't have a show so that side of it it's that's trying to thought about i that. mean yeah if you don't have a kill you don't have a show so it's over with, yeah. you know, so we have to be there and know what, and, and, and there's a lot of decisions we make on options that we have to go to properties that we can film on. Mm -hmm. We may have three or four of them and we're narrowing it down through cameras, times that bucks are showing up and that's how we determine where we're going. You know, it's like, Hey, sorry guys, we're going to, we're going to Alabama this weekend, not Arkansas because mm -hmm. we got a buck showing up and because we, you have to make sure that you don't ultimately make a bad financial investment. Exactly. And, you know, waste money going yeah. and doing the whole trip and not, not dropping yep. something. Yep. So I want to clarify Boone and Crockett's uh, stance on uh, cellular trail cameras. Theirs is more on the fact that uh, it's becoming uh, more prevalent that people have these cell cameras all over a property. And you're sitting in camp and then, ba-ding, you're like, ooh. That shooter's in front of this stand over here. Let's try and sneak out and go kill him. That's the problem they have with the cell. You're sitting cameras. on the couch at the time, and that that yeah. completely Watching football. Yeah, versus I I know Peter <laughs> yeah. from I mean just ridiculous hours. Literally sits in the stand the entire day, so he's going to be there whether the whether the camera sends and says that it's there or not. But I see what you're saying, where if you got your you know your shoes kicked off watching the game, and then you're like, Bing, up, oh, time to go hunt. That's hey, not really. Speaking of sitting in the stand all day, how comfortable? Yeah. <laughs> so those has more seats. I'd ended up in uh, a completely different training area than everybody, due to some happenstances. And uh, so I got dropped off, and I chose rather than to get down to hang out all day. And there was at one, and it had to be ten thirty. I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna take me a real quick nap. And I kick my feet up. I'm sitting just, my feet are not touching the bottom of my climber. My feet are on the front of the climber, on my top. They're kicked out, crossed over. And I just kind of lean my head back. Next thing I know, I think I fell asleep at 11.30. Next thing I wake up, it's 3.30. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I flinch way too much. I, no, no, I would trust Dude, me. I'm telling you. It'd be dangerous. You want to talk about comfortable. Most comfortable. I I've never been that like he's got him mounted feet, yeah. in the palm tree out front of his house. So he takes yeah. naps there yeah. now. <laughs> Literally dude. Like normally I sit in a regular tree stand. My legs get kind of restless. I, like they'll go kind of numb or something that has more seat. Not a single problem with it ever. I had, I had to throw pine cones at my wife in Alabama. <laughs> she was so sound asleep. I had stopped coming up the power line. And I'm like, she is, she's dead or she's asleep. <laughs> got my, I got my knockers out and I look and I'm like, she is out. I get to the bottom of the stand and I'm, I'm, I'm going, Shay, hey, 
yeah, I can't get away. Ended up getting pine cones. I'm throwing pine cones at her up the tree. Finally, she's like, <laughs> I'm like, what are you doing? How long have you been asleep? You know, when she got down on the ground, she's like, I don't know, a couple hours. Yeah. Well, you know That's what it. fixes that is when uh, when you get a, a, a ping alarm from your cell, tra- cell cam letting you know that a buck's standing in front of you. <laughs> yeah. wakes you up. So, Listen, I don't know. <laughs> so William uh, ruined my back moving him from Kentucky to Georgia. And uh, so normally I sit in a tree stand, my back starts hurt for a while. Has more seat, good, all day. I ain't got to worry about it. All right, enough about technology and game cameras and everything else and the black magic. The black magic. Let's talk about something that's actually plaguing the majority of the U.S. and is becoming a, a, a big factor in, in the white-tailed deer community because it is uh, white-tailed deer is the number one hunted, hunted big game species across the U.S. and that's CWD. And uh, they just found CWD in Alabama, far northwest Alabama. Alabama. But that makes it, uh, let's see, 28 states now that have it. And the first state that borders Florida. Correct. So you've got Alabama, Arkansas, Colorado, Idaho, Illinois, Iowa, Kansas, Maryland, Michigan, Minnesota, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, New Mexico. I've been everywhere, man. <laughs> New York, North Dakota, Ohio, Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, Virginia, West Virginia, Wisconsin, Wyoming. That's at 59, 52, 53. I was going to say, <laughs> got a 59, 52. But that's a lot of places, man. Yeah. And so, Go ahead. Uh, me and Peter kind of discussed it earlier. What's it? Illinois and Kentucky? They're yeah. like r- literally smack dab in the middle of everybody. No detecting. Not yet. I, Not bet yet. They, I bet they have a mask mandate there, and that's why. Yeah, what is it? What is it right there, Zach? <laughs> There's two in the middle? Yeah, it's uh, or Indiana and Kentucky. Oh, yeah, Indiana. Yeah. Indiana and Kentucky. Because, yeah, Illinois, Ohio. Uh, that could very well be because dudes aren't bringing enough deer in to be tested. It's probably there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you've got so the only states you've really got left in the southeast that don't have it are North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida. But all those states, except for South Carolina, have a state that borders them that does. So here's a question I don't know: is in places where it's really bad, like Wisconsin or Michigan, is the deer population being reduced? Is the deer population declining? I don't know. So here's the funny thing about CWD, and I'll give you my opinion on it. Go ahead, real quick, just give them like the definition of yeah, what it first, is, the actual for, like first, not. Chronic waste yeah. is it? Are the population shrinking? We'll, we can cover what it is in a second, but are they going down or do we not know? Are the deer dying off of CWD? Well, I know it's always fatal, but my question is, is the population shrinking? No. Okay. Yeah, so we'll get into that in a second. So CWD is a prion. It, it's very similar to... Uh, mad cow disease, right? It's it's basically the same thing. It's a, a degenerative disease that d- white-tailed deer or cervids species can transmit amongst each other, Bodily and it's fluids. always fatal. And usually, it takes about three years. So that's why you don't see the the white-tailed population dwindle rapidly because of CWD. But what you do see, well, inevitably, what we should see is a less mature white tail population because it takes years to correct mm-hmm. as i understand it you know a fawn can get it fawn can get it from its mother fawn can get it from just another deer in the tribe right 
So, but you're still talking two so to three years. So it's something yeah. that's DNA transferred. No, no, no. It's through bodily like, fluid, bodily, yeah, bodily fluid, okay, and nervous tissue it causes a mutated protein. Yeah, and you Prion. can't you can't cook it out. And I heard uh, I've read some said you can't. It, it's not susceptible to incineration. I was like, wow, that is yeah. aggressive. Usually, burning it solves yeah. everything. But I guess well, it's not. even yeah, it's even crazier. I don't genuinely and like incinerate my deer meat. So well, yeah. I guess like if you're if you if you, you got tested and you wanted to get rid of it and you thought you could just burn the the carcass, it's not it's not actually going to get rid of it. Nope, it's it could still get contracted if say a deer came and you know licked whatever it was that was there. And what's even Ashes. stranger is for some reason. I don't know where I read or heard this, but apparently when that protein gets into the ground, it binds with molecules in the ground and actually becomes more stable. Hmm. So if, you know, it's getting rid of it's really hard. Like, I don't think it's going to go away. It's just a matter of time. So I saw a lot of things that were kind of complaining and pointing to like, you know, like high fenced operations as Mm -hmm. like deer farms is, you know, like a big, I guess, reason for it. And like, you know, that's, the problem and why i guess why would that be the the, the i guess the culprit for uh, the increase in it versus it naturally taking place what well, exactly is happening in concentration of animals so do we honestly know like where what how did it start where did it come from i'm not 100 percent sure no i've read a couple of theories <laughs> a so lot. what are the theories on it well i'm not sure <clears throat> if anybody's really sure where cwd originated from right. yeah a a theory Loosely, is that it's all a derivative of, of a sheep disease called scrapie. Okay. Um, and I don't know. As far as I know, scrapie is kind of where it came from because they, they don't know for sure, but they think that somehow scrapie um, mutated and leapt to cows, right? And then perhaps... And that became mad cow disease? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well... And then the same kind of thing that is mutated either from sheep or through... Because we don't, we don't... We really don't have mad cow here. Mm-hmm. So it would likely be that somehow... But scrapie still does exist. Scrapie's been in the United States. But one of those, somehow a sheep or some other animal that had a similar prion managed to transfer it to a deer. And that's the big scary thing is that eventually, does a person get it? Because people couldn't yeah. get mad cow and then all of a sudden a couple of people got it. And if yeah. you get it, it's devastating. Yeah. And that'll, that'll, be, that'll be the killer. Yeah. So... Mad that they attribute mad cow disease to coming from the fact that they were grinding up cow remains and then feeding them to cows. That's the spread. Yeah. Yeah. The, so in human oh. beings, cannibals get kudu. So there is something weird about you're not supposed to eat when animals, I guess when animals or mammals eat mammals of their own kind. Eventually, and I don't, I don't know why. I'm, I'm not a zoologist, or whatever, but that, that it's it's inherently unhealthy, right? Right, yeah. and nerve tissue and things like that. Because when you get over in the, um, I think it's the Philippines or somewhere over in Indonesia, where you had these cultures where they were eating, you know, they're not hunting each other, but it's something that when somebody dies, they would ingest part of the, they cook the dead person and ingest part of it. it was actually supposed to honor them. But all of a sudden, you have these people. They have a really high incidence of. I think it's called kudu, hmm. and it's also very similar to all the scrapey mad cow and all this other stuff. But um, deer aren't eating deer, yeah. Unless they're eating each other's gut piles out there. 
Well, isn't a lot of it from like they'll die like in a water source or something, and that deer's drinking black tongue. That? Okay, so what you're what you're like blue. confusing that with is uh, is EHD or yeah. hemorrhagic fever. Yeah, and that All comes these. from a a, a a mite. Okay, uh, but that can which I is mean, it's also commonly known as black tongue, correct? Blue, blue tongue. tongue, blue, blue tongue. tongue. Blue tongue. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I don't know, man. <laughs> EHD can is EHD will absolutely devastate a deer herd in the matter of a few months because it's not it's it's not something that takes a few years to kill them that's real fast real fast Ebola. yeah and uh you'll com- you'll commonly find those deer dead next to water sources or floating in the water or so on and so forth because they can't they can't ingest water because their, their tongue swells up which is where and that's something from. so you can physically see like if you saw that deer on say a camera and you can see the like the physical deformation you can come to a fairly high percentage conclusion that that's what they have versus with CWD. You can't guarantee or confirm it until they've passed and you actually look into the nerve tissue and and look at the brain. So blue tongue shows a lot faster in malnourishment and you can see CWD as well at the very end stages of it. But most of the time when you kill a deer and you're testing it and it's coming positive for CWD, you're shooting a deer that looks perfectly healthy. Right, because no. until it reaches its very end stages of of having CDBD, does not become malnourished because it no. forgets how to eat and so on and so forth. So, I feel like the question stands: it, it how many states are just not testing for it? Right, because yeah. like you shot two deer this past weekend, correct? Right, that I know of, they didn't get tested. No, no. It, well, well, you, it's so, more so where I mean, like, where, well, how do you, where do you I test shot them it? in Georgia? But that's Georgia. not a CW. But it, it borders, zone, right? There's it borders states both Tennessee, borders, and, yeah. Tennessee and Alabama, which both have CWD. Yeah, absolutely. So it borders both Tennessee and Alabama now, which both have CWD. Now, Alabama was found the weekend we were there. They yeah. found their first positive yeah, yeah, case. Yeah. Um, but how many other deer are in Alabama that haven't been shot? Correct. You're right. So it, it, it's a good question. So, like, for say, if you're in Nebraska and I and I I'm an out of state resident, I buy a tag, I I harvest a deer, I punch, I you know call it in, punch the tag. Are they gonna because it's you know here on the map it says that they they have cases there, so they know it's there. Are they gonna say you need to bring it in for testing, or is that like up to your discretion? Well, Tennessee didn't do it. I mean, they had it at our prop, our farm up there, and. We never were requested to bring it to be te- bring deer deer to be tested, and but but I, does the processor do it without your knowing? No, no, no. Because I can say that's probably not a, a cheap test, and then also at that point, so if you bring it in, are you expected to foot the bill for the test? No. So a lot of states that have it, uh, like Wisconsin, for example, you you can take deer uh, that you've shot, and there are places you can drop off portions of the deer to be tested. Mm-hmm. And then they will return your results to you. Yes, it is positive. No, it's not positive. And however that goes. Alabama public land started a couple of years ago because it showed up in Mississippi right on the border. Um, If you killed on public, like a draw hunt. Right. All those deer were tested, you know. And that's requi- that was required? It was required. They tested every one of them that came off of the property. Because and the they- thing I would think is the last thing you want is, as we know, you know, the license and tag fees start to really add up and that's one more thing that if you're if they if that was the case where they start requiring to be tested to you know tack that on and then 
But if it's up to their discretion, people are saying, well, I'm not going to pay extra money to you know, possibly you know, or go out of my way to have this thing tested. I got to drive yeah. 50 miles to have it tested. It's not going to happen. Right. You know, so how do they test? Thing Parts of the, the nervous sp- tissue. Yeah. 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 Spinal, spinal, spinal column tissue. Yeah. Spinal. Yeah. How long? Brain stem yeah. and uh, lymph node tissue. Be interesting to figure out how long it takes it to get back. A couple it. weeks. A couple yeah. weeks. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the question really is, is, so if you could tell me without a doubt that CWD cannot transfer to humans, is CWD going to end white-tail hunting as we know it? No. It's not. Um, but there's still that if out there, right? Did so, you see a lot of different opinions where some people think, you know, oh, it, you know, it, people are blowing it way out of proportion and others are thinking, you know, it's going to be the ending of the end of hunting. And so it's kind of some people, you know, very two extreme opinions on. It depends on how you view hunting, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're hunting for meat and you're worried about uh, providing meat for your family, then, then CWD doesn't matter. But if you, if you're wanting to kill a trophy animal, yeah. then CWD is a big deal because you're not achieving the, the rack size in three years that you, you want. Um, but, you know, I mean, the CDC, for what their opinion's oh. worth and for what we take <laughs> it right now, I recommends mean, you don't eat. people probably actually yeah, have right. a little bit more. Uh, they recommend not eating CWD-positive deer. And it's like they recommend not eating other humans. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but... I don't know, man. I, that's a hard. It, it, the question is: is if you killed a deer that was CWD positive, would you eat it? And my answer to that question is: I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I that really comes down to a matter of person. That's like that's like killing a duck with like rice breast. I can tell you this right. for a fact. A lot of people say, I mean, they're two, two completely different things. But like a lot of people say, you can cook rice rice breast out. Right, eat it, and then there's a ton of people that are like, throw it in the garbage right now. Don't even feed it to your dog. Throw it away. I can't get over the visual aspect of it. Now I'll say this though: Do I, when it comes to me personally, would I eat a C a CWD positive deer? I don't no. know. Would I feed that to my family? Hell no. True, but also is it is it is the meat as a whole? at that point compromise or is it just yeah. the meat you know like yeah. say the back straps that's going to be near no it's it's, it's i mean it should be all of it oh so your nervous system yeah goes but, throughout your whole body and but here's your nervous system so. here's the question too Here, here's what the here's what it really the, the the thing that should really make you think right if you're hunting in a, a cwd positive state like wisconsin or michigan <laughs> where it's heavily prevalent and you're taking your deer to a processor have it processed and your deer comes back negative but your hamburger ran to the same grinder as a deer that was positive oh. yeah are there right. protocols in place to did there how i'm not you gonna stop hunting. yeah i'm not gonna stop hunting and eating venison i'm just gonna take the risk i can tell you that right now yeah, yeah. no i understand that but <laughs> i mean because we own the process at least listen at, le- at least if i get it by the time i die i could have done some stupid stuff and have but an you're, excuse but to, you're talking but but you're talking a span of three years, if if you had the same, you know, along this whole thing about processing and part of the reason that I largely process my own deer, um, and then not all this way, but those guys aren't supposed to take pigs in. Some of them do. I know they do. I've seen them dropped off. Why 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 should they not? 
Well, I think there's rules against it, but I think <clears throat> not. I don't, I don't know why, but if if a processor is taking in wild pigs and processing the wild pigs to the same place that they're processing your deer, you don't think you're going to get trichinosis from your deer? If the last, if your deer followed a pig, there was riddled with trichinosis. Guess what? <laughs> you know, I, I mean? can I can tell you. So the processor that we take our stuff to in Georgia, uh, his shop largely burned down and i missed out on some jerky meat last season uh because of it but i'll tell you what the meat i got had he's a sweet, the one who caused the fire had a sweet smoky flavor <laughs> but uh he actually stopped taking pigs in the rebuild process because he did not have the proper protocols set in place to take pigs on yeah i mean but how many people are gonna you know have the i guess I'll tell you this now, this too, when I lived in Southeast Georgia, I went to a processor one time to drop a deer off and they're like, yeah, just go take it back there to the trailer. And it was literally a single wide trailer. And I was like, oh, (laughs) never again. Listen, the meat was okay, but there were like seven chest freezers in a single wide trailer and had a whole process operation set up. I was like, hey, mom, I'm bringing some back. The place that I, the dough I took this, I killed the big ass here. The processor I took it to, when I picked my meat up, he was like, yeah, just come get out of this cooler. And I walk in a walk-in cooler that doesn't work, which is filled with like 50 coolers that have ice in them. And my meat is just sitting in like ice. It's like a slow Never cooker. Never again. And it's a, a cooler. slow cooker. Yeah. Now, granted, the sausage is good, but <laughs> it was an extremely shitty operation. And I, I felt like I was trying to listen to Boomhauer. So when you guys are talking, when, you know, processors and, and all that. So you mentioned, you know, the the protocols for you know, pigs for that specific uh, processor. So in, in in states where it's, you know, documented, evident, they're surrounded by other states with it. Are there protocols in, in place or regulations that they do have to follow things like that? And if so, will places that it maybe end up getting them be required to start? Falling, uh, falling I, in line? I don't know. Seems like, like well, it would be, the point is you can uh, have all the rules in the world, but there's guys that skirt them. Yeah. You know I mean? Oh, you, yeah. Yeah, counties where we hunt where there's like one and a half wildlife officers. What are the chances they're well, making you, run? You got to think too, like, so my girlfriend's parents live literally five minutes from Alabama, right? If your processor or, or whatever isn't, if you you go to the farm in Alabama, are you really gonna like say, nah, nah I'm not gonna drive the five minutes home to take my deer back to the house? Ooh. You just cross state line to bring your deer back to the house, though. Oh, and so yeah. is that the what they're saying? The problem is 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 transporting you know deer or or I guess contaminated meat back, and I guess how is it being if you're bringing it back to eat it? How no. is that? What what they're worried about is that you bring your deer back on a whole deer. You process the meat and then you take the hide and the the bones and you just dump them in the woods. Yeah. And then then another deer comes along, starts nosing through and all of a sudden picks up CWD from the fluids in the carcass. And you even have a risk now because that's the deer that the meat that you just got done processing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. What's interesting is I was looking up some things that um, CWD has been around since the 1960s. It's been around a long time. Where was it us. first like recorded again? I don't know. Um, but Florida has been testing for CWD since 2002 and thus far, according to 
FWC site tested 16,374 deer since 2002. I'm just trying to decide like when they decide to test a deer. That's good. 19. I'm, that's what I was You're thinking. like, I shot this deer at four yards. They're like, <laughs> test it. Just stupid. What? Test it. Four yards? I'm just saying. Because oh. they just get so stupid. Well, no, they, I know they're testing roadkill deer and they're tested voluntarily turned in deer. And, and FWC's got a CWD hotline where if you shoot a deer, um, you can bring the, the noggin in and they'll test it. Well, 1960, when they first started testing, was probably when they came out with the test. It's probably been around since Egyptian days. You know, it's been, you know, but hmm. it's yeah. it's probably when the test came out for it. Uh, I, I would imagine. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's like the so. Color. When they when we talk about how it's it seems that it's spreading and growing, I guess you know in the last say five years versus you know the five years before that, how much of an increase are they seeing enough to where it's becoming more of a concern? Well, I don't know, but yeah, you know, it's it makes sense. It's spreading exponentially, almost like the you know it's like one of those things like when you're a little kid, they said put a penny every day of the, mm-hmm. they'd have a checkerboard, they put a penny out, and the next day put two, then four, then eight, mm-hmm. pretty soon you know it's like takes a million pennies and you're not even three you know three weeks into the checkerboard so i would think that you know if you had one deer that are spreading it to three deer that then spread mm-hmm. them out but eventually it's you get thousands that are spreading it to thousands yeah. i guess I, it's almost like a pyramid scheme of, of deer disease certainly has become fashionable yeah mm-hmm. but <clears throat> so the issue and uh, there's been a lot of research into and i don't there's research in the CWD, and I don't know the full extent of it, but from what I've read, <clears throat> we won't see any real research into finding a fix for CWD until it crosses into the human population. Say goodbye to Whitetail at that point. They'll wipe them out. Well, look, what that's one of the things people are going bananas about in Alabama. Mm-hmm. Is they've turned those couple the, the the county that the case was found in the surrounding counties, no season, no limit, basically. Yep. Well, there's still season, but kill them all. But you can shoot them take out. Take as many as you like. Yep. And they were doing that, as I understand, in Michigan and Wisconsin at one point. In fact, they, from what I understand, their DNR was had guys in helicopters flying around, specifically pe- for CWD. Just trying to wipe it out, just man. Trying to wipe it out. Yeah, trying to. Trying, I was gonna say there's no put way a barrier to, gap in there because there's but, no way to confirm it before they so but they're just trying to you know you know i guess limit the, wipe the, out the, the population is, yeah is they mass. start over creating a fire break in the deer yeah hmm. adam go back to adam and eve with your deer <laughs> why essentially or a better compared no we need we start need, over with uh, <laughs> we need better funding up. for cwd research because there is a fix out there somewhere you you've got not necessarily they're, they're, uh, species go extinct uh, sure i mean sure. it's really i'm not i'm not advocating i don't want it to happen but i mean but this is how it happens right i mean at the at the time at the at the timeline that cbd takes to kill a white-tailed deer will not make the species go extinct no well not now it, it would it, if you're talking a three-year killer yeah or longer you're, you're you're talking deer that live two to two to five years at best and then they die, right? But they're unhealthy for the last two, two to three years of their life. What's the average life of whitetail anyway? Three uh, years? I don't know, man. I'd say eight years, five to eight. Well, so here's the well, thing. Well, no, that's how long they can. But a, a, you, how many eight-year-old deer do you think they're running around South Georgia? Okay, One? but here's the thing. 
so quality deer management is becoming a trending thing, yeah. right? So you're, you're seeing much older uh, deer across the landscape because quality deer management is becoming popular and, and killing a, a quality buck versus killing the first buck that walks out. Mm-hmm. It's not what's trending on social media. So mm-hmm. you're, you're talking a disease that's going against the trend, right? Sure. And it's a good thing that, that quality deer management is becoming a, uh, a, a trending subject, but you also, I, that goes into a whole other thing because quality deer management doesn't necessarily ne- mean I kill all the big bucks as, as much as it means that I uh, support a healthy herd in my ecosystem, right? Because quality deer management doesn't come back to killing the, the uh, all you shoot is monster deer. bucks. <clears throat> it, you know, it comes in the fact that you have enough food for all the populace of deer that live in your area and so on and so forth. And yeah. So if deer jump, if they're, if CWD starts jumping to human beings, that's one thing. I think what you might see is some states saying you're not allowed to hunt deer, right? So you end up deer running around. You want to talk about the one that will really knock them out is if all of a sudden CWD starts jumping from deer to cattle or But chickens. didn't we just talk about mad cow is already? Oh, no, right, you're right. 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 No, no. But right. I tell you what, you, 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 think those, you, think those, you think farmers are hard on deer now? Oh yeah! Wait until the cattlemen start losing herds mm-hmm. because of a deer virus. So here's the thing: deer protein, right? Holy if, cow. if you had 15 head cattle, right, and you had one test positive for mad cow, guess how many cows you kill? Oh. All 15. Yeah. Right. So you you're right. You're exactly right, Jim. If it if it breaks the barrier between cattle and deer, that's another big thing. Bye. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Because the cattle industry in the in the U.S. is much larger than the hunting industry, and and as terrible as it says, we well, I guess we could survive without cows, but we can't supply our population without the industrial meat complex. Just can't do it. You know, just too many people. Not a, if everybody in the United States all of a sudden decided to be a hunter, we we wouldn't. I would say they'd be, be rationing squirrels. Your your right. industrial meat complex is is not gonna. Those cattle those cattle aren't free range. No, but the whole point is is if it starts, if it starts jumping and getting into cattle, there will be hell to pay. I mean, yeah, yeah. I guess with we've talked about you know, there was a you know the version that was in what would you say it was was it goats um, the originally oh I don't. It's. I mean, that all was this, a I theory. Think, theoretical. A theory. But they th- yeah, yeah, they're not but really then sure. But there was from. with the cattle, and so I guess with those examples, as we look back, has there been like a significant increase or, or I guess growth in it, like we're seeing here, that's causing concern? Is there a reason, I guess, with those examples that would make it to where all so, of a sudden it's a but huge? Isn't there already a disease within? You know, I I know there is, and I forget the name of it, but within humans, where you're essentially your brain, your nervous system just slowly. Deplete? Alzheimer's, syphilis, CTE. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> so no, what uh, you're referring to is uh, an Crutzfeld-Jacob disease, CJD, which yeah. was which was brought on by mad cow disease when mad cow jumped over to humans. That was the first time it was it got to, which means there's a in there's a case in history where that type of disease did end up transmitting yeah. to humans. So even though it it's not happened yet with deer. If you look at the mad cow disease and the jumps to CJD to humans, 
you could probably come to the conclusion has that there been a any chance. research to see if it can jump from a deer to a cow i mean is, is i don't know is that research i out would there? think so i would i would think so but I don't, I don't know but even when you think about mad cow jumping humans and creating the crutchfield jacobs disease from what i understand when you consider how many people in europe ate mad cow positive beef and then how few people were Very susceptible small. that's a godsend Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, which might even be like even if you end up with a with a deer with eventually if we have a case where CWD transfers to human beings, what'll be interesting to know as well. Like, I mean, how many guys right now in Wisconsin, Michigan, you know, run that, 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 all those different states? Yeah, you're telling me none so, of them. Dude, ever. how many people me, are mowing down three, four, five deer a year, eating every ounce of so, it, giving it to their kids, yeah. and nobody's come oh. down with a disease? So if you're telling me that. There's humans that can be non-susceptible to the the CJD, right? Are there deer that can be non-susceptible to CWD? There is research out there right now that is showing that there is a protein that blocks the prion in some deer. So it's possible that they could breed it out. Or is is it herd immunity that they're getting? I mean, I, that's I know, that's a possibility. It's it's possible that they could breed CWD out, like I said. Um, but again, that goes back to funding the research. Yeah, they don't have the money to fund the research into that. Because I mean, there's guys out there, and the, you, I've heard it on the Mediator podcast, and he attributed it to uh, like cytoplasma or something like that. That CWD, and there he even went on. Uh, the record, he's with Mississippi State. Can't remember the gentleman's name at the time. But he has been on that train since the beginning that it wasn't the prion and it's something else. And he said uh, a couple of years ago that he would have a field test kit, like a pregnancy test that you could go out there and pop to a deer and find out if it's got CBD or not. And that, that none of that has come to fruition. So I, I don't know. There, there are many different theories out there about CWD, what causes it. Uh, uh, the main theory out there is that it's the, the prion that's spreading it back and forth, and then there's other things, and then now they're coming out and saying there's a possibility, this is coming out of Quebec, if I remember correctly, that there's a possibility that they could actually find a strain of white-tailed deer that is not susceptible to CWD, can block the prion, another protein they have in their body that can block the prion. And they don't catch it, so I, I don't know. Th- this is this is the roadblock that our generation will face in whitetail management. Absolutely. Well, and like Jim said, unfortunately, they're not going to throw the funding at it until it's you know gotten to the humans where it's actually they known. won't they won't put the funding to it till it's too late. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I don't know. That goes back to. But the thing too is, there there's been talk of wanting to have the CDC manage some of that stuff, so that when you have, well, this is the same the same people that manages uh, your cattle, right? So that or the uh, FDA, so that when you have a captive deer population where one test is test positive, test positive for CWD, they wipe the the whole high fence out. So then what about the idea of, you know, you look at like some, uh, um, um, you know, your, uh, what do they call that? Your like 
dangerous game hunting where say uh, you want to go and they've got a a, uh, um, a nuisance I don't know elephant that needs you know is causing a you know uh, is a terror to this local village so it's now put out a they put out a tag where basically they they sell the you know the tag to use this nuisance hunt where you pay stupid money for the someone to go and, and put down this elephant and then now that can be put back into it so if, if that's the case where you have to now get rid of those deer are they gonna let you know put that out to where people can buy the tags to put them down there's use not that to put back into there's not spending. time for that so you have organizations like united against cwd florida right other than not allowing carcasses into Florida, what is United Against CWD Florida doing to unite know. against CWD? <laughs> I apologize. So I'll, I'll give you some context. He's reading off of a map that I pulled. Yeah. Well, I, I saw it I, when I read the article via, because I got the email from FWC. Right. And I read the article of that, and I saw that, and I kind of thought like, okay, so United Against CWD, and I didn't, my bad. I didn't do any research into that organization itself. So. But he's I got did a good not point. Either, but yeah, you're, you're right. Yeah. I, I don't you do know. have a good point in terms of, okay, obviously people are agreeing that there's a potential problem and we're not the first ones to find out about it. So the ones that have known about it before, what steps have been taken? The big push right now across the board is to mitigate the spread. Yeah, which where the high fence thing in the trophy, you know, <clears throat> where you call up and say, hey, you got a guy coming in on Tuesday drop off a doozy you know and they truck one in from a different state well if they bring a deer from a high fence operation that went nose to nose with the deer at the fence that and then contracted cwd and then you bring that deer to mingle in the high fence operation and it spreads cwd within that new operation in a new state but then those deer go nose to nose with wild deer through the fence and now you've taken cwd and so is that type of situation what people are thinking is the biggest problem those well i don't know if it's the biggest but if it's if it's bodily fluid that's that's certainly one way because when i was looking i did try to look up in terms of how they think it's you know spreading being transmitted um and obviously you know moving and showing up in places that it's not been uh you know documented before and i mean a big big argument that that a lot of people point to was those you know, kind of, you know, like deer farm type operations. And so I guess, are there. Are Co- they COVID catch didn't get boy? to the United States because somebody walked here from China. Right. Right. They flew in or came in on a boat. So. so here's the thing that I think a lot of people aren't really talking about as much when it comes to CWD is, is what it's really. Another thing it's hurting besides people worried about contracting it, which is a very honest concern. Uh, from eating white-tailed deer is the fact that <clears throat> there have been a there, there's been a lot of work put into establishing uh, reestablishing elk right in their in their historic ranges across Kentucky and Tennessee and Virginia this year is now having their first managed elk hunt uh, and all kinds of stuff like that. It, but they cannot they can no longer because of CWD pack those elk out of other states and bring them back to those their historic ranges. Because of those issues. You can't transfer them. Correct. We've had problems with our high fence operations with bringing deer in from Indiana and, and, you know, a bunch of testing that's got to go down. And so there are protocols in place. There are protocols in place for high fence deer that are bought and brought to high fence operations. There, there are testing. Every animal's tested. 
Um, so, <clears throat> but like Jim was saying, what stops a deer from Indiana that we put in one of our high fence operations to sniff the fence where there was another deer with it? You know, so it's, uh, there are protocols in place for it. You know, this is a dumb question to think of. Can they test for CWD or CWD without killing the deer? All right. I didn't know that. Yeah. I imagine you could take like a biopsy like you could on an ugly mole. Yeah. I guess if it's a lymph tissue. I kind of like the pregnancy test idea. Hey, Mr. Buck, will you pee pee on this? this? (laughs) Pee on this real quick. Okay. You're good. Bang. Let me swab your nose. But yeah, there are protocols in place for high fence operations when you're buying deer from uh, we yeah there are mm-hmm. so it it not no i mean i would assume that the first thing they did was figure out a way to test before the deer was dead <laughs> so they could transfer those deer because if if n- nobody else is funding the fact that cwd is spreading it's going to be a high fence operation because they want to keep deer healthy inside their fence, right? All right, enough speculation about CWD. It is no speculation that COVID in 2020 drove hunter numbers up. Uh, The state of Tennessee saw a huge increase in hunters in turkey take throughout because you're talking the springtime everything shut down i participated in a turkey hunt when covid started (laughs) up there because of covid i was quarantined and i got in my truck and went to tennessee and turkey hunted for 10 days 12 days straight you know so i spent a lot more time on our property up there hunting because of covid and had a couple of great hunts killed some good birds and loved it so i i agree it I also benefited from COVID quarantine uh, in 2020, and I was, I guess you could say, fortunate enough to have it at the same time as my father, and we uh, quarantined together at the hunting camp. I tried to get it, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we Spit both killed. Mouth. We both I, killed a COVID doe. Listen, I uh, I ate dinner with him the night before he tested positive, and he's like. Called me the next day. He's like, hey, I tested positive for COVID. You need to go get tested. And I was like, dude, I really don't want to miss work. Like, that would really kind of suck. And he's like, well, they're paying you. If you, like, your work has to pay you if you miss work. And so if you test positive, he's like, well, quarantine hunt camp. And I'm like, call my superintendent. I'm going to get tested right now. <laughs> I tested negative, unfortunately. You tell him you're feeling every single symptom of the book. Yeah. And they're like, no, just, you know, contact trace. You need to do it anyway. All right. But yeah, we, we quarantined the hunting camp. And uh, I mean, I wasn't feeling well, but I was feeling well enough to wake up, go hunt, come back in the middle of the day and take a nap, hunt in the afternoon and uh, manage to kill a doe. But COVID, you know, it, it had a positive impact on R3. R3. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in an odd way that even we kind of saw a little bit of an impact. So because of COVID and everything with the economy, they sent out stimulus checks. And so people end up getting money that they felt like flashing that they don't usually flash. And I got calls for uh, deposits that these uh, stimulus checks 
were being put towards custom rifles because they wanted to get into hunting and you know they couldn't justify spending the money now now i've got you know what was it like 1500 bucks or whatever you know out out the door and uh and so no to your point there was a lot more people that i guess had the opportunity and, and decided to jump into it so according to Arne, uh, onyx's article 47 percent of new hunters uh primarily hunt to harvest meat and that goes across the board you know you're looking at just above 40 percent what are they like how what is new like with like on within three years or first i would year? say have just first purchase, time <clears throat> first time license purchase yeah. sir no, so it's actually, I think it, I think I'll, I'll break it down for you according to their, their map here. So Onyx has it broken down in experienced hunters, new hunters, and 2020 hunters. So for over 40% of your new hunters were to harvest meat. Over 40% of your experienced hunters were harvest meat. And right at 40% of your 2020 hunters were to harvest meat. That's actually higher than what I thought. Yeah, and then it, it goes on to say that Right at 20% of the 2020 hunters were there for the excitement uh, slash thrill of the hunt. And uh, the highest they come in at, everybody else ranks in at 10% or lower. Uh, the 2020 hunters were there to be closer to nature. And then across the rest of the board, they're, they're, they're pretty all underneath 10%. So, it's interesting. Yeah. Right? I think you've got a perfect storm. And, you know, uh, I think that link brings a huge kind of catalyst into it. It's kind of off topic, but the amount of boats that were sold in that period of time. Oh, yeah. Same with like, firearm sales, yeah, too. People trying to get closer to nature, mm-hmm. right? You had people that were like, all right, we got this time. Let's take advantage of it and get out there. You know, Onyx says that 54, 54% of Gen Zers were interested in a trophy hunt, showing more interest than any other generation. Thank you, social media. Right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, and to the same degree, in a, in a, I guess in a similar way, you know, I say it almost sarcastically, but not, you know, thank you, you know, social media and the internet, because I think the, another reason you see a huge jump is the um, access to, you know, quality information and education to get into, uh, you know, a, a new, um, you know, uh, I guess hobby that you have no experience in and maybe, uh, don't have anyone close to you that has experience in it to teach you. And so, you know, podcasts, uh, you know, online courses, stuff like that. I mean, things, um, absolutely exploded in terms of, you know, quality, uh, you know, influencers and individuals in these, um, you know, areas of expertise are now putting out quality content that is, you know, honestly a great starting point and really that's the biggest part of why people usually don't get into something is because they don't know where to start or they have no no knowledge for it or information on it and so i think that's why not only was there a growth in it but there was a pretty significant growth in comparison to you know previous i mean we were booked at the lodge we were we were booked i mean it was people calling constantly you know was, you know, can we are y'all open for yeah we're open come on you know so we had People coming in the lodge. I mean, we had a, a ton of moms and daughters. Go uh, ahead. Before you go any further, Jay, you keep saying the lodge. Well, the main lodge that I hunt at and guide at and whatnot is Piney Woods Hunting Lodge in Ufall, Alabama, which is where I'm talking about. But um, we had tons of people come in that during COVID, you know, last Did year. Did you specifically notice new hunters? 
uh, yeah, when I when I talk about having um, moms and daughters come in to hunt together, um, we had a number of brand new hunters that I would literally have to take to the range and zero their rifles and mm. teach them how to shoot their weapon because they they never They're had hunted new. before. Well, <clears throat> I was going to say that you, you're hitting right on one of the subjects that you have this perfect storm of. Of one that I see very few people talk about demographics, like that there's everybody talks about the baby boom. I'm I'm from the greatest generation, Generation X, right? And then you got some <coughs> of the other lesser generations, but there are there are more millennials than there were baby boomers, right? So you had a bunch of people, and then you had fewer people coming into the system through, you know, like I said, Generation X and also Generation Y, and also you have these millennials that are coming because we've got more kids, so. From an age perspective, that's one of the things that's driving it. Now throw in the media, uh, you know, Steve Rennell and all this stuff, and 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 even, heck, we're in podcasting, right? We're new to this, so you got all those other influences. Then throw in money because the government just took money and threw it, just piled it into the system, which is one of the reasons we have all this inflation. But the one thing that also really tops it off, everybody had time mm-hmm. because yeah. everybody went to flex time. They either they either couldn't go to work. Right, and I don't want to get to debate the good and bad, and that, or even if they are working, so many more people are had more flexibility in how they worked, and their kids were still going to school. But to go to school, all they had to have was a laptop. Mm-hmm. You could be going to school in Sable Point Elementary in Florida from Eufaula, Georgia, mm-hmm. right? I mean, so yeah. and I, that, I'm sorry, Eufaula, Alabama. I mean, you put all that together, and it's no wonder there were people out. Yeah, I mean, around. me and my son had the. Uh, great time hunting together because he could do his work online so when i got in the truck to go someplace to guide whether it was out west it was in tennessee it was in alabama or we went someplace to film he got in the truck and rode out because he could do his work wherever we were you know and um Man, I, did he take advantage of it too? I had I, to, I, I had to buy more bullets for that jugger. He was I mean, shooting everything. You, you've seen the the limits of being able to carry a computer anywhere. Hell, I mean, we we rode back from Piney Woods Hunting Lodge in July of 2021, and I edited the podcast that we recorded there on the drive home, listening to it Bluetooth to your truck. Yep, that's a fact. Yeah, it was, it was cool. That was pretty cool, actually. Yeah. The know? amount of, I honestly, and I think, I think that's one thing that we won't see go back to. You know, I guess you know the previous, um, you know, I guess way that it was in terms of. I grew up homeschooled, um, and it was not all that common. Obviously, now you know with with not only you know, doing school remotely and whatnot and working remotely, but homeschooling became very popular. I don't know that that's going to go back because of how convenient it is. And in, in a number of different ways, whether that's, you know, being able to work. I mean, you know, I was in Nebraska, you know, for over a month uh, previously um, with unexpected circumstances. But because of the way, you know, businesses operate now, was still able to get a whole lot done in terms of just the, the business side of it. Now, obviously, the stuff in person, you know, that, that gets put off. But you're still able to do a, a whole heck of a lot more. Um, and actually, like, I guess, push yourself and grow either your business or yourself as an individual and your knowledge base or your hobbies or whatever. You know, it's 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 interesting because I don't have children who were old enough at the time that 
everything kind of went virtual, that they were virtual learning. Uh, my son was in pre-K-4, 20, I'm trying to think. So I guess it was right around the time he started school, pre-K-4, late 2020, the, the far end of the year. So things had kind of pandered off a little bit, especially here in Florida. Uh, God bless the state. Um, but... Uh, <sighs> So he was never virtual learning, but the, the the whole experience of taking him to hunting camp, if I asked that, if I walked in there right now and I woke him up from bed and it's now 10 o'clock at night and I said, hey, you want to go to Georgia tomorrow? <laughs> yeah. He, he'd wake up. He, I can wake that kid up at 3 in the morning. Get in the car now. He oh. rolls over. I wake him up for school every day at about 645. I'm like, hey, bud, got to get up and go to school. I want to get out of bed. If I wake him up at 3 a.m., I'm like, hey, you want to go duck hunting? <laughs> right out of bed. He's ready to go. Sleeping in the boat. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, no, absolutely. He yeah, he sleeps in the boat. but No, he don't. I take him to the gas station. I feed him Mountain Dew and a donut, and he's good to go till about 8 o'clock, and then he starts getting whiny. But uh, <laughs> I'm all jacked up on Mountain Dew. Yeah. That's exactly right. <laughs> but he knows. he He's come accustomed to the, the fact that when we're at the hunting camp in Georgia, that's where Dad doesn't say no. Can I have a soda? Sure. Can I have this? I don't care. Uh, it, he 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 was complaining the other night, uh, Monday night, because he didn't get he he wanted dessert after he didn't eat all his dinner. And I said no. Oh, why not? I said, boy, you just spent a whole three days in Georgia, where every time you said, "Can I have a chocolate chip cookie?" I said, "I don't care." Doesn't matter what time of day it was. Five minutes before dinner. Can I have a chocolate, can I have a chocolate cookie? Sure. Go ahead. I don't care. He stays up and he watches Walker, Texas Ranger until 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. Fear Factor. Yeah. Fear Factor. That was his biggest thing. Yeah. <laughs> Is Fear Factor on the TV? Uh, but, you know, you, you start seeing the technological gaps in kids when he's like, well, I don't want to watch this. Can you put something else on? I'm like, no, bud. Uh, this is the only channel the TV gets from this antenna. So you're watching what's <laughs> on the TV. Can you make the TV bigger? It's so yeah. it's so small. Can can we hang yeah. it on the wall? Uh, yeah. Man, he, he he's getting spoiled because when I was his age at hunting camp, it was like, uh this is what's on the radio. Yeah. No, <laughs> it was like, it was like, dad, can you turn the coon hunt on? Oh, yeah. Dude, that was that was that was a thing. Listening to them coon hunt on the radio. Yeah, yeah, that's badass, dude. And I, I that was that was literally the highlight of my trips to Georgia. There was a radio station back in the day when we hunted in Blakely. The camp me and you stopped at. Right, right. Uh, every Saturday night they would go live from the radio station. And you have guys call in running coons all over Georgia. That must have been really entertaining. All you hear, all you hear is pass the moonshine. Exactly. But that was to me as a kid, that that was the greatest stuff, man. You hear the 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 squirrel and berserk in Antioch Baptist Church. I was gonna fix it. Say that's the first place, first time I ever heard squirrel went berserk in Antioch Baptist Church. And now Boone and Crockett's like can't use radios. Yeah, right. <laughs> but the hunter it, it's it's great to see that well <clears throat> so to me to see covid kick in and boost hunter numbers like this 
and then we've been pushing this R3 program for so long makes me want to look at it and say, what have we been doing wrong? Yeah. Right. What have we, what have we not been sharing with all these people who wanted to jump in and hunt now that there's a pandemic? But I do think it, it, it kind of circles back to there's more access to it, right? So if you're working from home and you're on your computer, you're like, eh, let me jump on Facebook or Instagram real quick while I'm here, right? So then you're going to go on there and you're going to see more of that and it's going to interest you more in it. I don't I think, it's, think that the, the hunter themselves are, you know, they're also older than like, you know, I know you're, you know, both, you know, Will and Jordan, their family grew up hunting. You grew up hunting early. Your you know, your dad taught you. Your grand. I know that's how it was. I'm assuming it was probably similar yep. for you, possibly for Jim. I know it was for you. Me, that wasn't the case. The only reason I got into hunting was because I knew Peter was into hunting and it looked fun. And so Peter taught me. But I kind of had to like go to Peter and like you know like seek I guess the like uh, the information, the teaching to learn about it. And then once I could on my own go from there. Now you got people older, so they're seeking information and there's a lot more quality information that's accessible versus as a young hunter when you're taught as a kid and your grandpa's teaching you how to shoot and shoot a rifle and they're telling you to you know squeeze that trigger like you're shaking a hand like you're squeezing someone's hand which i mean goes against everything in terms yeah. of fundamentals of marksmanship and so we're we a lot of times in our courses we have to you know unteach bad habits versus if you come in as a blank canvas and you're seeking quality information and there actually is quality information that's where you actually start seeing a whole lot more of um where i guess sometimes it's not easy to um kind of humble yourself and you know make it known that you know you do not have this information you are are coming to someone else and saying you know you know more than me please teach me especially as men and so yeah. that's that's a huge part of it and and it's uh there's a whole lot more um available it's almost like jim was talking about like a kind of another different example of perfect storm yeah i find myself yeah. I, I find myself looking at grown men that come in to pay to hunt asking me questions and i look at them like they have three heads and i have to go back and go okay wait a minute mm -hmm. this is not he didn't grow up like i did mm -hmm. when i was yeah. three years old getting put in the tree stand with my dad mm -hmm. you know um so yeah, it's there's a whole bunch of information out there that leads them to it and, mm -hmm. and the the teaching of it. And that and, all goes back right back to working from home because you have so much more time to have access mm -hmm. to that information so that when you come to somebody like Zach, you don't feel as ashamed because you've been able to look up more and you have a little bit more knowledge you're not coming in blank you're not like hey i know nothing about mm -hmm. this and with sometimes you know these things especially like when you go through one of our precision rifle courses on this on the surface you know you may look at say the the curriculum outline uh that we send out before the course and think oh my gosh this sounds like you know rocket science and that can be very intimidating and so having somewhat of a base beforehand is definitely going to go into where you don't feel like you're drinking from a fire hose during the course and you're actually going to get a lot more out of it and i think uh especially like when it comes to hunting so there's so much you know in, that goes in it, it changes for what animals you're hunting in terms of the approach whether so like i predator hunt a lot so you're looking at stands in terms of okay uh, you know what's around what's going to you know cause predators to be here in the first place then you're looking at you know uh, the terrain the layout of the terrain backdrops you know 
you know, wind, uh, wind, wind channels, all that. And there's all those different factors. And then you're, it's a different approach for say whitetails or if you're elk hunting or this or that. And so understanding the approach, a lot of times is taught when you go for a hunt your first time with your dad and he's walking you to the stand and say, okay, this is why we're picking, you know, this spot. And this is, you know, what we're looking for versus, you know, trying to get into it at a, at a you know, later in life. If you don't have access to quality information, you know, you're probably going to get it and you're going to not have success and it's going to be intimidating. And that's going to, I guess, almost in a way, maybe make you not want to continue to very frustrating. Yeah. So, you know, what's great listening to Zach is I realized that when parents, when the kids come to and say, when am I going to use this? Just introduce them to Zach. That algebra, you're going to use it. Physics, use it. Earth science, (laughs) use it. Geology, you can use all of it if you want to be a good hunter, man. In 11th grade, I uh, I think we're in geometry, and I uh, my teacher was trying to explain to me, you know, a concept, and I literally looked at her and said, you know, no offense, man, but you know, with what I'm going to do, I'm never going to use this. And I put, I wasn't trying to be rude, you know, but I put my foot in my mouth. And first, the first time uh, I had, you know, kind of been promoted up to one of our lead instructors, I'm teaching the the course in the class, and I'm um, drawing on the whiteboard an example of a you know line of sight from your optic to the target, a line of departure from the barrel and your projectile, um, and literally drawing angles. And I took a step back and I'm like, oh my gosh, like it all makes sense. I literally took a picture of the board, emailed my, my math teacher and apologized and said, you were a hundred percent right. And I appreciate you being patient because you're right. You know, Mill this, dots is geometry. Yeah. Well, and it's what I love about it is so, you know, so Kenny, our, our president and founder of Heartland Precision and, uh, you know, my mentor that trained me from a blank canvas, he's a former army sniper, sniper schoolhouse instructor, you know, so his background is in it. A lot of our other instructors, you know, in fact, all of our other instructors besides me have been through, you know, some form of a sniper schoolhouse. And so for me, though, when I look at it and I relate and so, okay, when we're talking about, you know, moving targets, I'm not thinking of engaging a, you know, a a military aged male. Um, in a combat zone, I'm thinking of, okay, I played quarterback in college. I've got a receiver coming across the middle and I'm trying to, you know, place the ball there so I can relate it in ways for me. That's a lot more understandable to most of just, you know, the normal, normal public. And, uh, and so when it comes to, Hey, you actually will use this later on in life. There's a lot of ways to apply. It's funny that that you bring that up because when I went through sniper school, I'm looking at it going, Oh, wait a minute that I am going to apply that right here. Cause yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. I the light bulb moments is what makes it everything yeah. worth it. Yeah. You mean there's two zero points on? How's that math work? I thought it was a laser. I thought it was a laser, and it didn't cross pass in two places. You mean it zeroes itself in two different places because of the scope? Wow. I thought if I pushed the button on the side of my scope, <laughs> it just goes straight there. <laughs> Well, that goes right on back to the technology we talked about in the beginning. (laughs) And just understanding everything behind it. But, no, uh, it's a lot of fun when you're able to – I always like to try and when I'm maybe teaching someone that may not have uh, any experience or prior knowledge in whatever that, you know, topic is, especially in our precision rifle stuff, I try to relate it to, like, sports. So when we talk, you know, uh, your trigger uh, press and your follow-through, meaning to, uh, you know, not, you know, jump your finger off the trigger or slap the trigger – um, I always tell guys, it's just like a golfer where, you know, when you drive, when he takes that drive, he holds that shot, you know, because he's looking, okay, with how, where I wanted to hit the ball and the approach I took, did I accomplish that? And it's an evaluation period. 
Well, if I say that as a golfer, a lot of people are probably going to understand what I'm talking about, even if they've just seen a clip of the PGA Tour, and rather than if I'm saying, okay, in sniper school, blah, blah, because that's such a small percent of their population mm-hmm. that actually has experience there. Yeah. Oh, man. No. I tell you, we've been at this for almost two hours. So we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. And to say that, and I'll close this out by saying that uh, we talked about R3. We talked about COVID pushing stuff forward here in this last little bit. And uh, if you're not coming out to the small game hunt this weekend at Seminole Forest, you're missing out. I, 25 RSVPs. So 25 RSVPs. That, that's people that say they're going. We had how many people interested. for the... Yeah, we had how many people say they were going to the the uh, triple N? No, uh, was that was in Chuliota. The Ocala uh, one? No. Oh no, you're talking about uh, Chuck Bronson. Charles Bronson. Bronson. Yeah, there was only like ten people. That ten, fifteen people said they showing. Had fifteen, twenty people show up to that one. That was fun too, man. That that was we fun. we man, expect quite fun. a turnout. You coming out this weekend? Yeah, Jay? yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, yeah. So I don't think Jay's even on the RSVP list. So. Uh, Jay's 26. barely on Facebook. Yeah. What? So. Face, huh? Yeah. Facebook. The face head. The face head. Yeah. So it it it's it's going to be a good hunt, and it, the Central Forest is always a good small game hunt. Zach's has built a rifle specifically for <laughs> the small game hunt. Oh yeah. Well, two got weeks a, after that, we're in Ocala, right? February fifth. Yep. Fifth. Yeah. Got Which, a uh, fellas. I, I will not make that hunt, unfortunately. But I'll be there. Oh. Be praying for you. I'll be there. I won't make that one. I'll be in Alabama filming. I'm gonna sneak out and <laughs> try and shoot me some stuff out. Jordan there. might not make it. I got to make a phone call before he gets an invitation. Because, <laughs> yeah, because I sent a text right when I sat down. I sat down here because you said you weren't going, and then I'm waiting on that response, and then I'll get with Jordan and see yeah. if he can make well, it up with we'll, him. We'll see. We got. Well, if it's any incentive, we. Uh, Harlan put together a carbon fiber lightweight uh, 22LR uh, precision rifle specifically for this. And my goal was, you know, people to be like, oh, that's pretty neat. Well, here, hey, why don't you give it a shot? And the whole thing, rifle and all, or optic and all, seven and a half pounds. Really? And, oh, yeah. And so what's neat about it is we can build them. It's literally a, re- a you know, a, a smaller clone version or replica of a full-size centerfire rifle build that we do for a lot of, you know, uh, mountain uh, hunters and backpack hunters where their goal is, you know, lightweight. So, so it's a it's a 22 trainer. Exactly. Carbon graphite barrel and... Carbon fiber graphite barrel. It's uh, one of the... It's in a Graybo Phoenix uh, fiberglass adjustable stock. It's uh, with a tracked toric optic, which is... Uh, tracked uses the same uh, glass and lenses. Uh, uh, it's shot glass, which is the same as Zeiss and Swarovski, so... You know, very popular in the hunting industry with those optic brands. So, I'm I want to leave my hands on it. It's definitely uh, after Come doing so many center fire rifles, you re- I forget exactly how thrilling shooting a twenty two is. Dude, I mean, it, you it's could fun. Just do so it all day. <laughs> you left, I think, before I really got to sight my twenty two in, and I'm shooting a Marlin Model sixty. 
I think 60, 66, I can't remember what model it is, but I'm sitting there drilling that four-inch gong at 100 yards to that Marlin model Hey, 60. I'm going to tell you right now, that Marlin 60 with that heavy barrel, they, that was. I, mean, I think that is the most sold twenty two rifle ever. Uh, I'd put that, it's probably pretty close, maybe with the 1022. 1022. 1022. Yeah, I mean, that Marlin 60's got that medium heavy barrel to mm-hmm. it. I mean, it. But what you, what you can't beat is that 1022 holds 10 rounds. Mm-hmm. That Marlin 60? 18. 15. No, it's like, 15 it, out of it. Yeah. That's, yeah. And that's the newer ones. The older yeah. ones had the longer slide on yeah. them. You know? Uh, Those 1022s, they'll send them as fast as you can. Oh, yeah. As you It'll can, wrap. Press them, man. They same, same with that little Marlin, man. And it's an it's a freaking tack driver. That's and what I, I'm, I'm shooting a four inch gong. So you don't even have 14, optics on that gun, do you? I do. do you? I was shooting a four inch gong, fourteen out of fourteen shots at hundred yards. You know, one of the things I appreciate about shooting the twenty two is that every time you pull the trigger, you don't hear a cash register go off. Right. right. <laughs> well, in today's day and age, it's getting there. Now it sounds like quarters at least. <laughs> well, that's what right. I was shooting on the last small game hunt. That little ten twenty two with yeah. that with that Nikon on it. I got more more in the scope than I do in the rifle. Oh, I, I told them I looked at this pack. I mean, this is the most overkill twenty two right. there is. I mean, it's absolutely just insane. Hundred bucks a pound. Oh, um, but it is sweet. <laughs> yeah, Jim's missing suppressor. Yeah, we're still waiting for ours to get out of ATF jail, so that's that's unfortunate. You want to roll on tip of the week? Yeah, let's yeah, let's hear a tip of the week. What do you got, Jordan? I want to steal off some other people in here and say, uh, don't ignore your uh, school teachers. <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm never going to use it. Two people in here have used it. I've I mean, used, karma's when I've, it literally I've becomes used it. There's, there's more yeah. than two people that have used yeah, it. Yeah, I would say there's more than two people. There's, karma's there's, not that it that I use it. Karma's that I literally, not only do I use it, it is my career now. Right. So it's a must. Yeah, yeah that, uh, that's good. I guess I'll piggyback off that and, you know, uh, don't don't be afraid to, uh, you know, humble yourself and, and I guess, seek, uh, um, you know, mentorship or guidance or information when you want to, you know, get into you know, a certain topic and, and grow and, and the, to, I guess, pair that, you know, seek quality information. Um, and uh, it, a lot of times that leads to um, more of an appreciation for not only what you're going to do, but the pastime of whatever that, that topic is. And, um, and you're, you're probably going to have more of a passion for it. I'm going to say after the COVID remain outdoors, keep going outdoors, learn something from this COVID. You know, absolutely. Continue on with it. Mine's a bit of a wing shooting tip. Wind sailing or wind boat? Wing, yeah. Wing shooting. You know, I, I had a chance to do some more duck hunting this year, and then we just got back from a pheasant trip. And I didn't, I wasn't conscious of this until all of a sudden I realized it. And that was uh, everything seems to move so fast. But birds are coming through, but man, they're not moving as fast as you think. Take the time to slow down, right? Get that cheek down on the stock. Draw that bead. Get that lead. Boom, follow through. And uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a terrible job of explaining. that I didn't realize that I had gotten away from a lot of those fundamentals. On some of the duck hunts we've been on, I'm like, how the hell am I missing those birds? And uh, I think what it all comes through is I 
just wasn't letting it slow down enough. There was this urgency that you got to get them before they get away. Man, those birds can get an awful long, awful long ways away, and you can still knock them down if you got the right chokes and the right ammo. So, for those of you maybe that still in duck season, if you notice that you're missing birds, I'll bet you just need to slow down, and you'll start knocking them down again. Peter, I would go ahead and say maybe just uh, you know don't be too don't be too proud. You know you have a lot of guys going off of what you said too. You have a lot of guys that go in that. You know, their dad has been, they taught them how to hunt, so this is the way to do it. Or, you know, they maybe seen a couple shows or something like that, so they don't want to be embarrassed. So, I mean, maybe be embarrassed a couple times, you know, learn a little bit, get in the woods, figure it out. I should have gone before you, but I'm going to caveat, <laughs> caveat off what you said. And, I, and I'm going to say don't let anyone else define your hunt. Don't let Boone and Crockett do it. Don't let YouTube do it. Don't let us do it. Do what makes you happy. Hunt your hunt and be satisfied with your quarry. Don't do it for the gram. Do it for the freezer. You know what? Do do what makes you smile. If, um, it, if that four-point walks out and you just listen, I'll tell you, I've shot big bucks, several and I was grinning from ear to ear with my son last Sunday when I waxed a big six point. And he was just as happy as could be when we found that deer and he helped me drag it out of the woods. Yeah, it was. I kind of want to throw it in there too. I'm going to throw another one here. It's, uh, despite of what we have talked, you know, with Boone and Crockett and everything, technology can be your friend. 100%. Okay, so just... Don't be afraid to use technology to help yourself get into the outdoors, right? Like Peter said, if you feel embarrassed or whatever, YouTube, dude. You can literally YouTube anything. You can get a basic skill set from YouTubing mm-hmm. and then go to somebody like Zach and advanced on that. Mm-hmm. What basic skill set of what you've, you know, kind of honed yourself on. Yeah. And on that same note, like I said earlier, garbage in, garbage out. You know, whether that's the technology you're using, you got to make sure the information you're putting in is accurate so that the technology, when, you know, doing what it's supposed to do, will be accurate. Same thing with, you know, YouTube. If you're looking for, you know, information, education, make sure it's good sources because once you do come to a class after forming a base, if it's a good base, you you will progress, you know, faster. You'll, you'll have confidence. But if it's a bad base, you gotta it's harder to you know strip down to that foundation and rebuild so you know garbage in garbage out and so make that sure you're looking for, for quality you. information yeah i see it's, it it's, I, I see it all the time in the hunting industry with people coming in to hunt this new they've got a base from looking at youtube and doing research and then they come in and they we put put the hands on it and they they pick it up you know <laughs> and it's it's pretty quick for the most part we do kill a lot of pine trees on the property but um <laughs> I just had a thought about if we suffered some kind of EMP pulse and lost GPS navigation, how many guys are running around WMAs during during hunting season? (laughs) That'd be it, man. They're done. They're never getting out. (laughs) You're not getting out alive. Oh, boy. Because they ain't got a compass. And, uh, you know, (laughs) which way does the sun come up again? Yeah. It's rough, man. But it is what it is. 
So come to the small game hunt. Yeah, no. We, Moral we, of the story. So here's the thing, man. You come to the small game hunt, you might hunt squirrels, but I will, if you walk with me, I will talk to you the whole time. If you want to know about hunting deer? Let's say I'm not walking. You can walk. I'm not walking. <laughs> yeah, we will talk about hunting deer, and I'll show you deer sign and how to find deer, and then I'll stop, shoot a squirrel, talk more about hunting yeah. deer. I'll say you, you'll have to wait till after the hunt finishes to walk with me because I'm not going to be walking, but. <laughs> Make sure you bring your own wet well, wipes no. this time, Will. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm have to remember. <laughs> that. I always got, I got other ideas. <laughs> mm. Well, we'll catch you guys next week. Thanks for joining us.